Not too long ago, on the internet, Jared and Inc., lovers of stories and art, unleash an analytical podcast. And a warrior detective, wielding her sleuthing acuity, steps forth to accompany them. Before their next pod could be cast, Jared and Inc. tear open a portal via Skype and fling the detective into the future where in-depth analysis is law. Now these fools take a look back at a cartoon from the past and analyze Samurai Jack on episode 006 of Old Taku. Taku no Radio, Episode 6, where we are covering Samurai Jack. I am Jared, and I am joined, as always, by the wind beneath my wings, the wonderful Ink. Say hi, Ink. Hello! And also joining us, we are very, very, very excited to have one of our favorite detectives in the whole wide world with us, uh, the wonderful Kate of Reverse Thieves. Hello, thanks for having me. So, Samurai Jack, let's, let's talk about it. Here Wait, is... I first want to know, I want to know if Ink is going to use that voice for the whole podcast. <laughs> I could, but I would probably not be able to last the length of the podcast. <laughs> Especially if he's drinking whiskey. You're not drinking whiskey tonight, are you? <laughs> no, I'm actually drinking Kurosawa sake. Okay, okay. Nicely done. Nice choice. Thank you. All right, so here is the, the summary, which having to follow Ink's introduction is... Wow, that's going to be tough. <clears throat> After an ancient evil previously imprisoned in the earth by the emperor and the mighty plunge of his magic sword resurfaces, the emperor's wife, upon her husband's capture, sends their son on a journey of physical and mental training. When he returns as a samurai, he faces the same evil that captured and since enslaved his father. But before he can deliver the final blow with his father's sword, the samurai is flung into a future where Aku, the aforementioned incarnation of evil, rules supreme. Adopting the name Jack, the samurai quests time and time again for rumored magical artifacts in order to return to his own time, deal the final blow to Aku, and end his reign of terror. The end. Well, not and... the end, because we didn't. We don't get the end. Yeah. Yes. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Slight spoiler, but not really a spoiler. Um, like, you can't you can't spoiler a show that's, like, old enough to be in middle school. You can't. So just, if you've never seen Samurai Jack, uh, drop this now, go watch it, come back, and then rejoice with us. And if you're, like, upset that we're not doing anime this episode, well, join us the next episode. I don't know what to tell you. Samurai Jack, guys, it's so good. Here's my in-depth analysis. <laughs> and it's still good. It's still so good. I feel like that's worth saying because oh, I, I don't know how recently the, the two of you had watched it, but I really hadn't watched it again since watching it at the time of it, It's it, you know, when it came out. Uh, and maybe just like here or there, you know, something about it would come up, but having not really watched it for that period of time, you start to, 
at least I start to kind of think about was it actually as I remember it and, you know, start, start thinking kind of like, oh, maybe it isn't going to be the same when I watch it again. And then I, re you know, marathoned it for this podcast and it's totally good. <laughs> it stays good. How much of it did you actually manage to get through before the podcast? Oh, I watched all of it. Oh, man. I'm the only one. I've made it like two episodes into season four, and I, I was just bombarded with other cartoons for other projects. And... <laughs> I finished it done. Two, two weeks ago. So. Oh. I finished it like this morning. <laughs> I came home from Sunday board games and coffee, and I I watched the last two episodes. But I've been I've been kind of I've been kind of doling it out to myself uh, every evening for the last couple weeks. You know, like Kate, I I had a very similar kind of experience. I I watched I remember watching Samurai Jack when I was in college, kind of in that golden first age of Adult Swim, and all of Gindy Tartakovsky's really cool cartoons he had at the time, like. Dexter's Laboratory, which forever changed how I say the word laboratory. Um, <laughs> and um, I I enjoyed these shows at the time. I, 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 they were just, you know, fun, light, amusing fare. Um, having, like, revisited them and, you know, gotten into this whole blogging and reviewing mess, I am struck by just how much there is there and just how well put together so many of the episodes are, you know, I, I don't know that there's a bad episode in the whole bunch. There might, there are some that are just kind of okay, but like, <laughs> that's, that's the worst, like that it gets, you know, it, it's, it's probably it's, it's got a couple of, of, you know, C plus shows or episodes. And then everything else is like B plus a minus a plus. I mean, it's crazy. Ink, how about you, man? I, I was concerned because I hadn't watched it like hey like since it was airing and I have all the DVDs and I bought them as like as soon as they came out because I I feared that it would no longer be available and I knew this was going to be a series to treasure and watching it honestly it was as gorgeous as I remembered because I kind of pedestaled its art and but the one thing that really struck me was all the humor I didn't remember it being as humorous as it was. Like, at every turn, like, it, it had some really good moments of tension and stuff, but, man, at every turn, there's a, there's a you know, a running gag or some little thing to make you chuckle in the middle of all of it. Yeah, that's kind of what took me back, because I found myself laughing way more than I thought I would. But as for the A, B, and C episodes, I, I, I watched all the, uh, the extras on those discs, and, you know, everyone from the director and the to the storyboard artists just went, you know, you have... Your, your amount of time and labor you can put into your A episodes and your B episodes will suffer slightly from that. And then you kind of have a couple C episodes that you leverage to even everything out. And like you, Jared, I, I wouldn't really be able to spot a C episode in this. Even, even the C episodes by most cartoon standards today, just fantastic. And, the best thing about them that I thought is that just the extraordinary effort put into the storyboarding process, how much they used visuals to tell that story instead of having monologues and expositionary dialogue. Yeah, I I remember that. I think 
I don't know who did the outline, but one of you wrote on there its amazing ability to show and not tell. And I, I knew that about it, like in my mind, intellectually, but rewatching it, it was incredible how often there would be 10 minutes without dialogue. Uh, even in the first episode, you have a huge sequence in there that has no dialogue at all. Uh, and also having Jack be a character who doesn't talk a lot either. He goes many episodes without talking for half of them, at least sometimes longer, depending upon the situation. And I didn't remember that. It being so pronounced, it really stood out to me when I was rewatching it. There's actually a, an interview with Phil Lamar, the voice, uh, the guy who voiced Jax. And uh, in it, he said, you know, it was one of the easiest roles he's ever had to play because it would be 10 minutes of listening to someone be the main character in that in that particular episode go on about which what trouble they're having with a coup uh and where the magic item is of that episode and then he'd say something like i understand i'll go now and that would be like his day at the office (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that i really treasure about the showing and not telling aspect of this show is the design of pretty much everything this everything everything in this show from the backgrounds to the kind of goon characters that jack is like dicing up by the dozen to the antagonists and and to uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna squee and gush about aku later but uh, to to aku and and everything like there's such a purposeful design to everything and it evokes a particular kind of mood or tension or emotional response and for a show to be that finely crafted to where every visual aspect of it is 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 giving you subtext information on the level it is is just breathtaking and there's there's some episodes where that design and that mood setting is almost the whole the whole story you know with some extra dialogue thrown in here and there it's it's just amazing the way they use the visuals to propel the the plot and the and the uh, just the action forward the only design flaw i found with this series is their choice to use the font papyrus The first episode loaded up, and I visibly shied away from my computer when I saw the papyrus typeface. I thought, oh my god, it really is the 90s. (laughs) This is the only trip up, guys. So, um,. I, or, or, or have you have you reached out to them for season five and said, "Hey guys, I can I can make a font that isn't papyrus." For I I'm just sitting around praying that they will know better for season five and not try to evoke their previous seasons. Please, please, that's my one hope. I know this is for later in the podcast, but that's my ultimate hope for season five, guys. Just no papyrus. <laughs> I think we should, uh, we should call Gendy right now and let him know. 
Um, but I, sorry, I wanted to say something actually serious about the design for a second, which just to add to what you were saying, Jared, I think that was such a strength of Gendy's work uh, on Cartoon Network mm -hmm. was the design elements. I think it came to a head in Samurai Jack and was just the pinnacle, but I, we saw it in his other series too. And I had a question so in I always think of his characters as having those American style cartoons squared off hands. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't remember if Gendy's work is where that started, because I can't really find a beginning point. But if you guys do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like a really American cartoon style. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I always like... remember in his work, but I don't know if that's where it started. I, I call it rather untechnically French five fingers. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I call it square hand, so that's I'm, not. I'm trademarking crinkle digits. <laughs> in 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 one of the in one of the features uh, special features on the disc, he mentions that he went to uh, this uh, some really prestigious animation college in California. CalArts. Uh, yes, CalArts, and. He, for his portfolio that he sent the the, the review committee or committee or whatever lets you in, sent all these really badly drawn things. But the the teacher saw what he was doing visually with the story and saw you know promise in his work. And he said, as he grew to learn how to draw, he took to you know utilizing the most basic shapes. So that would kind of explain where that came from, because otherwise he just mentions like Hanna Barbera as the building block of his animation knowledge. And I don't remember Square Fingers and uh, Hanna-Barbera at all. No, they went for a little bit more of a realistic... Mm -hmm. yeah, like maybe Flintstones? Yeah, that was the one that sprung to mind for me. Mm. They're kind of... I mean, they're still kind of round-tipped, but I think... I don't know. I, Kate, I think you might be right. Like That's the first time I remember such a geometric sort of look you know just to the way the characters are designed generally speaking because you can see that to some degree even in Dexter's laboratory um I'm right really i just meant him in general the yeah. gendy because yeah. i remember it from his other works too yeah you know, you're absolutely right um but it you know the the thing about it i i think is it's there's there's this sort of minimalist sort of approach that I think he has to some of his design to a lot of his designs really you know like Jack if you look at Jack he's very straightforward you know you could just about cut out like construction paper into in like triangles and squares and stuff and come and maybe a couple circles and come up with you know Jack you could just like put him together and you know if you were a kid you know trying to paste it onto a page Great, Jared. Now I'm picturing Samurai Jack in South Park art. <laughs> well, I just did that uh, this morning. Uh, so, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to have that that elementary school moment with myself again. Um, but, but that, you know, that just was what it struck me as because sometimes, like it's it's not quite the same as what they do on South Park. It's 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 a it's a higher, more evolved form of it, really. But. You know, oh, it's, it's much more involved. It, it took a team of people, uh, and actually a team of South South Korean animators, I believe. Yes. Uh, 
to make this a reality that was you know both visual and engrossing. Rough Draft Studios is the Korean studio that that did Samurai Jack, and I don't know if they're still around. I wonder if they are. Now I will say, and I and I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone, but uh, on Amazon Instant Video they had like a, a preview trailer for season five. And the art looks very much true to the first four seasons. Like, it looks exactly on model to, to everything before that. So, Which is a testament, because the, you know, the production of the entire first four seasons was analog. Yeah. That was, that was largely pre-digital. I know they mentioned going digital on a, a few of the effects uh, and la- later on in, like, season, later season three, early season four. But uh, I mean that to be able to emulate that very that very uh, just organic experience that that that's something to tout. And I'm glad they continued it and didn't make it some other visual style. Oh, I don't think you could. I it's so iconic of the series. Mm. I I've, I couldn't imagine that would be a major misstep. I would think on their part if if they were to change something like that. So that begs the question, how do you think the art style contributed to the overall enjoyment of the series? Like, was that something you to watch the series for as opposed to the story and adventures? Or was it a supplement? The art style? Hmm. I really... I got a lot out of the art style for the show in terms of it being a source of enjoyment for me, which is not usual for me usually i'm very much a story you know getting into the characters getting into the story and 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 looking at theories about storytelling and stuff this one for me i just love watching the visuals at work and and just the movements of the characters and and just just there's something there's some kind of intangible to me about the the way that the art and the action moves on the screen for this show in particular that I just love and I just I kind of just I'll I'll look at particular scenes and just you know rewind them and watch them again just to see something move the way it does and go god that's like really awesome I'd have a hard time separating the art from the story in this case I think that the visual style of Samurai Jack is so iconic it's what makes it stick in your mind. It has a great story, don't get me wrong, but I think that combining it with its visual style is what made me remember it 10 years on mm. and think about it fondly and the visual style is used so effectively to tell the story that I think it would be a completely different experience if the visual style was different. Because of those things we were talking about earlier, those sequences where we have no dialogue and and when we talk about specific episodes later on about how they're playing with shadow and shape and all of those things, I, I just can't really I feel like I can't separate the two, which is good. That's that makes it an entire package. Mm. I would be on board with that. The uh, The main thing I would think of is just, you know. When someone asks you, oh, what's your favorite cartoon? Like, this one would be the first one I think of. Let me show you how cartoons can tell a story. And, you know, this one's quick, entertaining, funny. Obviously, 
you know, for kids, but it has a, a nice, not not darker moral dilemma for adults to enjoy, but certainly they could identify with the frustrations and, you know, life lessons therein. But honestly, this, this one just comes down to the storytelling itself. And like, just, just let me let you watch this for a second and you'll, it, it won't matter what world you're on at the moment or which uh, villain is in play. You're just going to enjoy watching this happen. That's another thing about the show I think that's amazing is over the course of four seasons, they hit just about every genre you can imagine. And they somehow, it, it you never, like at least for me, I never question it. I never think about it. I never go, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, <laughs> like, why, why are there gangsters in the future, see? I mean, like... You know, like like that never that never occurred to me. That was never uh, a problem. It never took me out of the story. And I think again, the 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 point I think y'all are both making, it, it, you know, that there's such a it's such a unified thing that the, the storytelling and the art itself are both. You can't tell where one begins and the other ends. I think. Hmm. So aside from sight, there's a lot of fun stuff with sound. Did anybody? Uh actually pick up on anything audibly that motivate or that uh, intrigued them? Yes. Yes. But I want to see what y'all have to say. Well, I think everybody is always blown away by the performance of uh, Aku's voice actor, Mako. He's amazing. And he makes such a great contrast with Jack. I I feel like they do it so deliberately whenever they are you know there are episodes obviously where Aku is not in them but whenever he is around they contrast their ways of speaking and Aku just can't shut up like he's just (laughs) talking all the time and I, I loved that they did such a nice job of contrasting that with Jack yeah I really want to hear why or if they sought Mako out because I know Conan was actually listed as a reference or as a as a inspiration for certain scenes and images in the series I want to see like if they approached Mako and said we need you to play the ultimate evil are you in <laughs> I'm, just, I'm pretty sure that's exactly how that conversation went <laughs> I, I think we're we, we've come to the point where I can I can now gush about how much I freaking love Aku, man. Like, uh, uh, I love him. All right, but oh, can, we're talking about sound I, stuff, aren't we? Can I just say one thing? Yeah, yeah you With can't talk about great Aku, flaming yeah. eyeballs. <laughs> so I'm I'm stuffing that back down again. Sound, sound. Okay, one of the things I loved about this show is the music. The music is so damned perfect for the scenes that we get in you know from episode to episode it's it's perfect and different they use different musical styles for different you know atmospheric kind of moods that they need to hit like one of my uh one of the one of the shows i watched uh episodes i watched today was like a film noir kind of kind of episode and they had like exactly the right kind of casablanca type music you'd want for uh for a episode like that um so i love the music I also love the fact that they sneak in like old school Hanna-Barbera sound effects in kind of like rant, like they use that sound palette like randomly <laughs> for like certain stuff. 
and and I just I recognize like it's just one of those things you know it when you hear it <laughs> you, you like because you've heard those sound effects your whole life if you've grown up watching Hanna-Barbera cartoons like I have and that's just a that's a nice kind of touch that I just absolutely adore uh, about the sound in, in the show when you said that Jared you made me think of something else that I found really hysterical in the episodes and I don't know who the voice actor is and he must have just been playing like lots of background bit parts and there were times when he would just have characters yelling but they wouldn't be yelling words they'd be like Body beep, that, that. <laughs> and you'd be like what is that guy yelling about and like yes. there was i don't know who that guy was but i love him <laughs> whoever you are sending out some love to you you cracked me up all the time, just having all these little characters doing things in the background, I it was it was just added to like that more cartoony feel. Also yeah. made the the worlds feel more real because you know you'll have a lot of shows where you have background noise, but actual to to make an attempt at realistic background conversational noise is something that the show does really well and kind of needs it because you need you need. A lot of people, for as stoic as Jack is, you know, you need that audience for your ear. Jack himself, because he's so quiet, can be, you know, it's not that he's not a fun character, but, like, he needs something to react to, <laughs> to kind of get something out of him. And over the course of the, the four seasons, I came to love him as a character, but he's tough to get into. Unlike his totally arch- disagree with you. Unlike yeah. his arch nemesis Aku, who <laughs> so oh, so you're just a villain lover. That's what I'm hearing. I am an Aku lover, absolutely. That's sidetrack for a second. Did any of you either uh, ever watch the uh, Dexter's Lab episode? I think it was, um, or maybe it was Powerpuff Girls episode where there's an Aku alarm clock, and it the 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 alarm for it is just. Evil. <laughs> I, don't, I did not see that, or if I have, it's been a very long time, but I'm totally not surprised. I want that alarm clock. I do, too. I would love to have Aku wake me up in the morning. That would be amazing. It, it, he, he is the most prominent like voice in there. Like As much as Lamar does like a fantastic job, oh, man, you just need that, that energetic, fun injection of mako jack is great don't get me wrong but 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 aku y'all i mean come on like he's he's the best thing ever he's like the best villain he's my favorite villain now like re-watching this made me remember why i love aku so much and yeah i'm gonna spend the rest of the podcast yeah look you're trying to inject your aku love in again when we are talking about sound that's right you know what sounds great taiko aku sounds great he sounds wonderful. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Because we haven't yeah. talked about the opening song. Oh, yes. Yes. Is also the ending song. And it is so good. It it's is. so unusual, though. Unusual how? I just... It feels unexpected for the show to me. Like e- Even when I was midway through re-watching it, every time it would come on, it would just delight me and surprise me it somehow to me it didn't at first didn't seem like it fit and then it fit perfectly and 
it I guess it just it seemed kind of unusual for an opening song for a children's cartoon. Just sort of threw me off. Shout out to Samurai Jack for not only employing an African American voice actor, but also having Will I Am of the Black Eyed Peas do that opening theme song. And I actually love your description of it because it's it's perfect because it seems so out of place, just like Samurai Jack. Mm. And you know the 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 number of worlds he travels to where it's it's all his world, but you know it's it's in a different time and it's been transformed so uh, into some unrecognizable mess. I'm not calling like Williams music a mess. It's just that the the contrast between what you're expecting and what you get is just seemed to fit perfectly for that series. And I don't know if I was taken aback by it when I first watched it, but that was actually one of the most memorable things of the series besides, you know, key visuals here and there. Like I always remembered that theme song and the introduction to that theme song. That theme is such an earworm. It's such like, there's no way once you hear it, it burrows its way into your brain and you can't forget it if you want to. And it's, I, I love it. But like, I think, I think I also, the first time I ever heard it in connection with the show, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> you know, like that was not what I was expecting. I, you know, you would think that they would go with some sort of bamboo flute thing, you know, but I'm glad they didn't because it just, it, it's another way that the show stands out and is unique. And I love that theme song. Also, you know, it's just so energetic. Like, and you need something for that because Samurai Jack is, above all, an action series. Like, it's a bunch of linked action scenes. Uh, it, it would not be able to survive without it because it's, you know, targeted towards a child audience. So it needs something to keep their attention. Like, if you took all the action scenes out of this, I would love watching it as an art house, art house piece. That that theme song is just kind of perfect. It just drives you into it and lets you know that you know there's going to be something riotous happening later. Yeah, it's a nice kind of primer to get you excited for the show. And again, it's just so memorable that if you're walking by a TV and you hear it, you instantly know what that is. So, anybody have anything else to say in general about the show? Yes. First. Yeah. I want to take issue with Jared saying that Jack was a hard character to get into. What is that about? Yay. You were wrong. <laughs> I, I, Jack, you I have awoken the Kate. Well, you know, Jack is an amazing character. First, I, he's my favorite character in the series. I mean, if you're going to pick Jack or Aku as being, you know, kind of the only characters you could pick, really. Jack is absolutely my favorite I I can't think of a character that has such a sense of justice and honor and portrays it so well as Jack. I was blown away in my rewatch of just how strong and heartfelt it was. It it's so amazing to watch him. He is the best of the best without feeling like he is arrogant or lording it over anybody or self-righteous. He is just capable, a hero to his core. I loved that about him. I also thought it was amazing that, especially at the time that this was made, that Jack is an adult. 
he mm. they never specifically say how old he is but we see him grow up and he's an adult character and the way that he reacts to things in the series he reacts as an adult the way that he talks is very adult and that's unusual even now for american cartoons to have um the main character be an adult and also not have some sort of either a sidekick be a child or is a superhero apparently like superheroes are the exception to this mm-hmm. but uh, jack i just i think he's just a standout absolutely jared is wrong his, his maturity levels are off the chart uh but i'm i'm going to i'm gonna i'm gonna have kate come after me in two seconds because uh i was watching this and i was thinking you know all all that frustration he goes through is heart-wrenching it really is even by like i think it's the fourth or fifth episode of the first season they already start to dig into the why can i never get home why do these things always keep interfering why do i always have to fight sort of lamentations that he goes through periodically throughout those four seasons you know sort of when he's tested to his utmost of patience and uh will and i got to thinking i was like okay does jack really want to go home or is jack just the sort of talented honed fighter where he doesn't want to acknowledge his own sort of bloodlust and rage and he's just you know he'll he'll go back for the people despite that portal closing just to fight more robots to save those two people who ultimately won't exist in the future that he creates when he goes back home and destroys our coup anyway. Can I be real a minute? Let my guard <laughs> down. Let you know how I feel a minute. <laughs> All right. So, thank you, Kate, for your your uh, your your feedback. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Jack's Jack's fine. Jack's good. I like Jack. He grew on me as seasons went on. Like season one, he 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 grows on me. Seasons two, three, four. Love him. Aku. Aku's the best character in the show. Sorry. It's just the truth. And the reason for that is, number one, a hero is only as good as their villain. And Aku is the perfect, chaotic, insane, goofy-ass <laughs> kind of foil to the incredibly serious, unerring, always-knows-what-true-north-is, always-follows-his-heart-and-his-principles uh, uh, samurai Aku has flaming eyeballs, for one thing, and that's incredibly important. The other thing he can do is he can turn into a – like any fucking thing he wants to. He could turn into a squid. He can turn into a bat. He just – like you look at Aku and you – like they, they have so many shots that are tight shots of Aku's face. And that's because he's got the best face in cartoons. Because hold you, up. Hold up. You How never many times do they face. zoom in on Jack's eyes? And you know that's Jack's eyes yeah, and how he's feeling by how they're fine. just You know what squint. those eyes are going to do, too? They're always going to scrunch up and get like, oh, I'm about to cut somebody, and he does. But, like, Aku, you can see Aku's face, and, and sometimes he'll have, like, his eyes, like, completely wide open, and it'll look like he'll just have this blank stare. And then he'll go from that to, like, this incredibly different expression and his his facial expressions are so good like they flow in all these different emotions and you see aku like there's there's several episodes where he's like where he thinks of a plan to to foil jack and of course he fails but like the beauty of it is like you see like oh i have an idea let me think about this idea 
this idea is deliciously evil. How wonderful. <laughs> like, he goes through all these, like, facial transformations. And it's so great. And just, like, the way he's kind of, I guess, a dream come true for an animator because you can literally do anything with Aku you want to, even though it almost seems that way with Jack because, good God, that, that freaking bathrobe he has, like, does – he can turn it into anything. Aku is just so funny, really. I mean, he's just – he's so, like – Every scene he's in, he's he's doing something goofy and silly. Um, I just he has some of the best lines in the whole show, so I I just I love him to pieces, and I'm so glad we did this uh, rewatch because it reminds me just how much I freaking love that guy. The thing uh, is, so yeah, Kate's uh, wrong. The end. The, the right. thing oh. is, Aku oh. isn't a villain. He's a foil, and he's a comedic foil at that. The real villain is the evil that's in the world as enabled by Aku and his power. So the real villain is humanity, and Jack is its foil. I wouldn't say it's humanity, it's, but there's a lot of evil in the world that's legitimate evil that's very, very visceral. And Aku is kind of a playful sort of, you know, I'll get you next time, Jack. Ah, ha, 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 kind of <laughs> Kind of guy, he's a, you know. He's a clown. He's just a clown that can shift shapes and, you know, render a person in two. And it's evil. It's great. <laughs> okay, now I've been able... I had a moment to respond to Ink. Uh-oh. So, Your turn, Ink. So, actually, I wanted to ask you... Because I actually had moments where I questioned Jack also. But I just wanted to know, did you... You said that you thought about that early on. Did you feel that way in the end or that was just something that you thought of as a possibility i think it's just a fun possibility to throw out there and honestly i think it was one of the later episodes that really made me think back on it it was uh the one where they're going to uh, the shaolin episode where they go up to the the portal on the top of the mountain that only shows up for a few moments when the sun is at its apex and then disappears there are literally two of his shaolin brothers are from the Shaolin Brotherhood who are fighting off these this horde of stone creatures so that you know he uh, Jack could enter that portal and go back and he wastes that opportunity to go back and save them and I say wastes in just the fact that he does not go through that portal yeah. human life being valuable and all he that does, he but, does something similar with the uh, scientists too in like the first season I think yeah and it, it's weird because they're they do play with this character enough to make that a valid point or at least a valid question. But overall, like the way they show his frustration constantly, you really do just get the sense that his moral values won't let him let anyone die. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is that I think he is both lifted up by and held back by his strong sense of justice because, like you said, Ink, theoretically, he goes through the portal, he kills Aku, this future never happens, so none of these people die in whatever just happened. But at the same time, even if I think about it, is it really that easy to watch another human die if you can prevent it, just because you know that? And I feel like Jack, at his core, what makes him so great, what makes him a hero, is that he can't. And I think, to to your point, that's what the Shaolin episode shows, because more than any other episode where he gets denied his own passage, um, 
you see him listening to the sounds of his brothers fighting outside the entrance where he's, you know, running the, uh, away from to get to that portal. And you just see the physical discomfort, his, his stomach churning with, you know, how he's running away from aiding those people. And that's kind of what solidifies your point, you know, is, is just intense moral values. I, I know we're not talking about particular episodes yet, but that scene is delivered really well too, because the way it closes the portal and even though you probably know something like what happens happens, like it, it sells the idea that, oh my God, Jack chose to go home. Like really well, there was like this moment where I caught myself going, oh my God, what? <laughs> like even though I knew like, you know, we got like two more seasons to go and it was just a really well delivered scene. And honestly, if they had carried through with his escape or his uh, success uh, towards the portal, that might have added another dimension to the character. Yeah. Because, you know, being just always right and always moral and always, you know, steadfast in righteousness is very flat. And there's not too many episodes that actually explore Jack's darker side, if he has one. And that's kind of my thing. That's kind of my – I mean, on one hand, I'm about to play devil's advocate to myself, but on one hand, like, that's kind of my I, – I wish that they had done that a little more. Now, on this very point, we probably want to, like, save the rest of that conversation for talking about our hopes and dreams for Season 5. Mm. But um, you know, one, of the, one of the things – Kate, did you, did you have any other – things you wanted to, to point out before I go into my little spiel here. What is your spiel about? Um, it's about how Jack reminds me of Odysseus and how Samurai Jack reminds me of the Odyssey. And he's very much an epic hero in um, his presentation and, and like, you know, he can do like all these amazing things and he knows like all of the fighting styles ever and all of the warrior's arts, no matter where he goes or what he does. And he's, as as a character, he's very much an epic hero in, in that classical sense that he is uh, possessed of larger-than-life capacities and capabilities, and he is also faced with a larger-than-life series of trials. And so, you know, this being sort of a voyage-home kind of show, even though he's really just kind of a wandering kind of ronin kind of guy, you know, um, which I think... Gendy Tartakovsky got some inspiration from Frank Miller's Ronin, by the way, for this. But um, a lot of what struck me about Jack in, in what made him interesting to me was his um, the, all of the parallels that I saw with, like, you know, the Greek, the Homeric epics and things like that. I just, um, yeah, that was it. Well, that was lovely. And I think that... I, I can see, I can totally see what you're saying about maybe it makes Jack flat on, on a certain, in a certain sense, but I felt the way that it's presented, it doesn't feel flat to me mm. that it's presented in, I guess, in a way so competently that I did. I also wrote hero of legend, epic hero, you know, in my notes and I, I guess in the hands of the right storyteller, I, and I think this was the right storyteller in the sense that it, it does not feel like a one note character. It, it, it at least it, from my view, it, it never felt like that. Um, also to your point about Aku 
whether Aku is a comic villain or the actual evil. I guess I, I hadn't... Um, I mean, obviously he's hilarious and, and totally a comic villain, but I also think that he is the ultimate evil. Um, I guess I didn't see it... I didn't see it as a metaphor as much, especially when we see the episode... Like the, uh, and not, not talking about specific episodes, I guess, but there's those episodes where we see kind of the past and like when Aku appears on Earth and stuff like that. Right. So I I do see him as more of an an actual villain. It that has become complacent in the future where he has ruled for how whatever it is like a thousand years or whatever, and. He knows that Jack can defeat him, so he has to come up with all these really wacky, out-there plans. He's kind of like an existential threat that occasionally becomes a direct antagonist. But uh, he sort of hovers, like, you know, he even when he's not in an episode, you can still sort of feel his presence and his influence, because on those episodes, Jack is dealing with something that exists because of what Aku has done. To, to your point about you know you know Jack being kind of flat and and I and I agree with you that you know he does have he does have some depth and I think you know as the the supporting cast of recurring characters kind of grows like the Scotsman episodes for example you see more uh, of Jack's personality but I think you know to tie it back to the epic hero bit epic heroes also their strength is also usually a weakness and in Jack's case his sort of unerring, unbending sense of justice and right and wrong also is a weakness in the sense that it prevents him from getting what he really wants. And so he has to suffer because of, of that. So, And I think that's what makes him less one note to me is that he is always doing the right thing, but he doesn't necessarily always want, want to. to. Right thing. And it hurt, you know, and it hurts mm. him. And you can see that in certain episodes, that 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 warring within himself. And He's not self righteous. That's that's how I feel. Yes. Definitely not self righteous. And I think the fact that he doesn't come across as self righteous is is uh, something that Kate said, just very much attributable to the storyboard artists and the director, because it takes a it, that's a very fine line to walk. I, I like the way Kate described Aku as complacent, and I actually hadn't given that much thought, even though it's kind of a staple of the series, because, you know, Aku's been building his evil empire for however many years it is he flings Jack into the future. For Jack, it's an instant. For Aku, it's an eternity, or however long. And, you know, that that I, that does give Aku actually a second dimension other than evil and incompetent. <laughs> um, because, yeah. Aku is incompetent. He keeps throwing like robots at this samurai who can just slice through them like butter. You know, his only course of action is to send more of them. So hoping he'll ultimately overwhelm the samurai. To that point, there is an episode, and to Kate's point also, there is an episode where, and it's probably my favorite episode of the fourth season, where it starts out and Aku picks up a, he's sitting on his throne of flame. This is what's so amazing about him. He's sitting on his throne of flame, the dark god of all that's evil, and he picks up a giant, like, rotary 
freaking handset phone. (laughs) Talk about old talkers. And he places an order, and it sounds like he's ordering a pizza. What he's actually doing is he's ordering, like, goons to throw at Jack. So he's like, can you make it large? And, and like, they they send him this giant, and then he just just sends the giant after Jack, and then the giant is, like, this huge giant in this tiny car where he's, like, taking up all of the car. <laughs> and then he jumps out of the car to fight Jack, and then, like, Jack, like, kills him in, like, one hit, and he just, like, falls over. But, I mean, it it's so amazing, and, like, when you said that, Kate, like I hadn't thought about it that way either, but it's so on the point, on the nose. Like it's, you know, he's he is the laziest evil. That might be another white reason why I love him. <laughs> also wanted to say something to uh, Jared. I think you said something about uh, the fact that he, you know, Aku is kind of always floating up around the episodes, even though he might not be directly in them. Mm. Uh, that's I, I would attribute that to more. Uh, some of the, the choices that the artists made, because throughout the the series there are tree bare trees that are reaching up with bare boughs, and they're all black or silhouetted, and that's like very Aku. He's he's always this pointy speared pole, and you can do that with trees, you can do that with telephone poles, broken buildings, wherever you have jagged edges, that will be a coup. And having the basic color scheme be I think it was supposed to be black and white on red, two important colors over an action color. That that link would be very easy to establish. So even if you're not intending it to, the very color scheme brings about the sense of Aku because it's just such a basic color. That's a great point. I mean, just the sense of desolation in so many of the episodes itself says, yeah, Aku fucked up the world, <laughs> you know, and so it's it's really hard to get away from that. And I'm Omnipresence. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to pivot into the uh, the season favorites portion? I have one final random thought. It's that I didn't remember this, and I, I sort of I don't I don't think I would have. But watching them all in a row, there are a lot of episodes where Jack's clothing gets damaged and he has to yes! rip his shirt off. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, whoa, what's happening? Jack's robe is both of infinite utility and can be turned into any kind of textile item he needs, and it's also, like, super easy to battle damage. It's really weird. Well, it's not even that. It's just he gets, like, one scrape on his gi, and and all of a sudden it's like, rip, (laughs) ab expose. Yeah, he's constantly ripping it off Hulk Hogan style and then fighting dudes, so... The, the number of times I, sa- I found myself saying, for the ladies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's so true. <laughs> okay, now we can talk about our favorite episodes. All right. <laughs> so season one, favorites and flubs. Do, does anybody have any flubs from any seasons to start with? Because I do not. I have a couple. Okay. But so not we'll... in season one. Okay, we'll take them as yeah. they come then. Kate, why don't you start us off with your with your favorite uh, episodes from season one? So I I have two favorites. I think a lot of people talk about the Archers episode. It seems to be a lot of people's favorites. Episode seven with the blind archers and the tower. And that is an amazing visual episode because of the obviously the archers are blind 
and the way that sound works in that episode, the way that Jack learns and uses things that he's learned and then uses sound to like trick them and get to the tower is just amazing visual. And of course there's no dialogue at all. Mm -hmm. And then of course, I think that's the first episode. It's a very early episode. I don't know if it's the first one, but it's, it's one that sticks out a lot in that Jack has to destroy the well because it's tainted, even though Mm. it could have taken him home theoretically. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I also had the archers listed as one of my favorites and, uh, if I was going to think of what's like the most emblematic kind of episode for the ship, for the series in general, um, that would be a really strong pick because it, it covers so many of the bases that, um, that makes Samurai Jack a good show in terms of visuals, in terms of action and pacing and the relatively low amount, but yet high impact dialogue that's in that, uh, episode. It's a it's a really great episode. The snow that's, also makes it really visually mm-hmm. striking. It definitely sort of uh, afforded a good counter offset for any dark hues. So you have this this abundance of lightness, and you you could buy, put any dark hue against that, and you know really create some really good movement and contrast. That was also one of the episodes that was that won an Annie for uh, storyboarding. Uh, alone, and it's easy to see because most of that episode has no dialogue, and for a very specific purpose, the archers in the tower are blind, and then you know their their hearing is enhanced, and they can, you know, pinpoint anything via the slightest sound. So it only makes sense that form follows functions, and the fact that you know this is a an episode driven by visuals because it cannot have sound, because sound is the enemy in this one. Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot that. You know, he can't make any noise or they he will he will be feathered. And I just love archers. That's just a thing about me. So, uh, Kate, why don't you talk to us about uh, your other favorite episodes from this season? So. So I like the archer one and, and it's visually amazing, but I actually think my favorite episode was episode 10. And it's fairly straightforward. Jack has to. He goes in this cave, he finds this rock, giant rock monster, and at first you're like, all right, he's going to fight a big monster, but we find out that it's actually a man, and he's been this monster for so long, and he's desperate for a warrior to fight him who is on his level and to kill him so that he can ascend to Valhalla. And I thought that was pretty dark, (laughs) and... (laughs) And a little bit, just the like the maturity of that episode was surprising to me. I also enjoyed hearing the man's backstory about his past as a warrior and kind of having Jack meet somebody who's really in similar to him in in some ways, and him at first refusing to fight, like Jack doesn't want to fight him, and him sort of being coaxed into it and the different kinds of honor that were in the episode. I like to call that the prog metal concept album episode because it feels like something that any kind of metal band 
with a concept album. They would they would write that as an album. Dude fights a rock giant who beca- who who's revealed to be ancient warrior. You've got Valkyries coming in, sweeping down, bringing him to Valhalla. When it's 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 the perfect kind of raw material for that. It felt like to me. You know, you know. Sadly, I will say that that episode has a lyrical quality to it almost, which is kind of appropriate given given the uh, the warriors dream of the afterlife. Mm. But what I find what I find myself remembering most about that episode, aside from as Kate pointed out, that sort of dark, please kill me, uh, sort of denouement moth for the uh, the main villain is the path to the villain and i remember i always remember there being a path but i don't remember the traps being so gory Mm. or there being such a representation of death and that's something you don't see a whole lot in the first season but that grows in subsequent season um is never because this aired for you know a a children's time slot and you can't show uh (laughs) blood and guts so what you have is you have, you have your villains represented by robots Everything that you can easily slice and dice <laughs> exactly um, but that villain is not and he's he's not defeated in any gory manner um, but there are representations of people having died in there which I thought was a nice uh, bit of darkness that they, they sort of edged in on the side and I always remember that, that specific part about that episode because it was it was applaudable yeah that's a good one would have been totally fine if Dragon Force like would have like busted in with a guitar solo like right in the middle of that. <laughs> the ones I really liked were um, I like I liked the I tend to like the first episode of of every season just because I feel like they always start off with such a strong episode to open uh, each season. But in particular, I, I put that I like the first three episodes of the first season, and that is really. I, I mean, I, I like them in general terms, but in specific terms, that is because there is an entire race of Mr. Peabody, and <laughs> holy crap, that's amazing and wonderful. And I was really sad that they did not show up again <laughs> in the rest of the series. Except I, in those episodes, there's crucified dogs in the background. Oh, yeah, that's awful. That I, was bad. I, I, I intentionally blocked that out. Like, thanks for, thanks for triggering me there, Kate. Appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> See, I also also liked the archers, and of course, because Aku is the best thing ever. The final episode of season one, well, Aku's fairy tales to the children, is amazing and wonderful and hilarious, and shows Aku at his goofy campiest. Ink, how about you? Well, I'll follow that up because that was also one of my favorite episodes, as was the archers, um, but that. That fairy tale episode, I absolutely loved, just because it reminded me. Uh, well, its own execution uh, aside, there was a, a Batman episode, Batman the Animation, or uh, one of the animated yes. Batmans, where they had three tales of kids recounting their experiences meeting the Batman, and that totally reminded me of that and how stories just dilute the truth, and a coup sitting there trying to convince an entire field of youngsters via, I think he was on, what, a giant television just addressing the crowd, right? I think he started out that way, but I think he eventually, like, had, like, all the kids, like, sitting there mm. <laughs> like in his 
Like I, I seem to remember, he's like at one point they're like all sitting in his lair listening to him. <laughs> that could have been it. They're just sitting in his lair and looking up at him. But which can you imagine a bunch of kids in his giant rocky lair with his <laughs> throat of flame and like he's sitting there talking about you know how how the nice Aku and like the the you know saving the day from the big bad samurai wolfjack and all that. It's it's hilarious. Well, the whole episode is is insanely. I, I just want to say stupid because why would you even care about what the next generation think? Because they're just humans and they can't harm you. It doesn't matter. Um, but the thing is, you know, he wants to taint their attitude towards Jack, and he keeps bringing up these fairy tales and instituting Jack as the villain as opposed to the hero. And with each one, the kids grow more and more impatient and. Aku sees this and he starts switching the stories faster and faster. Right. And the punchlines just keep snowballing in on each other to the point where, you know, by the last one, by great flaming eyeballs, like <laughs> his self-insertion is so hilarious that I'm sitting there rolling on the floor and I can't hear half of what he's saying. Aku just wants to be loved, man. That's that's what this episode's all about. He wants to be loved like Jack, but he's too vain and like brutal and horrible for that to ever happen. My 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 other favorite from season one is the Scotsman, and for no other reason than the fact that uh, uh, who was it? John DiMaggio, uh, vo- who voices the Scotsman, just does it so well and so with such great humor and warmth, or antagonistic warmth. It's hard not to love him, but that sets up because he is the only character that comes back for three for two other episodes. Because the, I, I, I pity the character designer, and I forget her name, uh, but the sheer amount of people she had to draw and come up with for every world, every episode, was insane. But at least she could draw this guy the same every episode. And he was just such a great and entertaining presence that I genuinely enjoyed him having be the buddy for Jack, even if only very sporadically. Yeah, yeah, the, the Scotsman... My favorite Scotsman's episodes are later in the in the series, but but those were always fun to watch. I think they were some of the episodes that were most remembered by people were the the Scotsman episodes. And uh, yeah, my favorite Scotsman episode is later, but obviously the first appearance is very important in order to get to those. Mm-hmm. I felt like the dialogue in every episode the Scotsman was in, like I'm. There's some great episodes with some great dialogue, but it felt like every episode that the Scotsman was in, like the Scotsman was getting some great lines to deliver. <laughs> they were just hilarious. Like especially when he's when you first meet him and they're like standing on that bridge and they're like trying to figure out who's gonna move first and like everything Jack does to be polite, the Scotsman takes as an insult and then he starts calling them all those names and it's like, Oh my god, that's like pretty intense. But it was really funny, just the dialogue in that. Honestly, to, to Kate's former point, like all you really need to do for old school English insults is have someone in the background babbling nonsensically <laughs> in a in a uh, English or Scottish accent in this case. Uh, Ink, did you have any others from season one you wanted to touch on? Uh, you guys already touched on my others, the uh, fairy tales in the tower. So I'm good for season two. Okay, well, we'll try not to to, to bogart your uh, <laughs> your picks. Uh, next time. Kate, how about season two for you? So, uh, wait, sorry. 
I do have some flubs in season two, or I have Ooh. one. All right. So do you want me to do that first? Do you want me to do what I liked first? I, either Whatever one. you want. You're the guest. Okay, since since it's so rare for us to talk about anything we didn't like about the series, I'll mention that episode two for second the second season was super weird. It's this weird three-story horror sequences with Jack where he keeps running into, like, once there's, like, a riddle worm and then Jack gets eaten and there's no Ooh. resolution to it and then they meet he meets, like, creepy cannibal robots and then there's no resolution oh. to it and then there's, like, a fairy in a castle. It's it's so... It's, it's like this schizophrenic episode. It's very strange and... Obviously, it wasn't like, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever watched. It just stood out to me as being, did that like it didn't fit somehow with the rest of the the stories. Do you guys remember that episode? I, now it's that you actually one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> well, one one of, of one of the one one of those parts is one of my favorites. I actually like just the, the middle part of that Jack versus the the, the cannibal robots. Well, Ink, why don't you like expand on that? Because I'm gonna just get my popcorn. <laughs> well, it, it's really simple why I like that little little story in the middle of those three really incongruous stories that, as Kate mentioned, but like Jack versus the Metal Eaters, as I like to call it, is just gory. I don't remember. Well, it's been like what, twelve, thirteen episodes plus whatever this one is, whatever led up to this one is. But you never really got a sense of gore or carnage. There's a lot of hacking and slicing of robots, and some of it's done really cool and stylistically. But it's all very neat and clean. Explosions here and there, but nothing really fleshy. And when you come to these metal-eating robots, there are scenes where the color palette and the posturing of the robots with their jaws clamped upon each other's forearms and gouging at each other's chests and ripping out each other's hard drives or whatever they're you know extracting from each other, it really does a great job of emulating disembowelment and cannibalism to the point where it's ferocious and gory. And I'm thinking, you guys really just wanted to see someone die, didn't you? <laughs> That's why you drew this scene. But it was gorgeous and in all its violence. And that's that's why I really loved that part of the episode. Now, I'll agree with Kate, like, having three separate things and three widely different things unconnected was uncalled for. It's kind of like they had oh, we have all these season, uh, all, all these ideas for a season, but we don't have that many episodes. How do we do it? Well, we'll make three in one. And it felt rushed. It didn't feel like a Jack episode. I think it felt... they wanted to experiment with the short-form storytelling a little bit, and so they gave it a shot. And you know, to y'all's point, the Metal Eaters bit in the middle is the only part of that episode that I remember at all. I remember the Riddle Worms. The Riddle Worms are fun, but it seems like an exploitation of a common... Uh, riddle. It just seemed like nothing. All right. Well, so Ink, since you're already talking about that, well, Kate, you—that was the one you didn't like. Did you have anything you liked in season season two? Yes, yeah. Kate. What were my other favorites? What <laughs> 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 my favorite episode for the whole season was episode five, 
that is, I, there are many episodes where Jack fights robot assassins, but I thought this one was particularly awesome. There is, you know, we, we see this robot town has been massacred. It has some really striking visuals. And I enjoyed that the episode was kind of a desert setting, almost Tatooine-esque. Mm. And Jack also in that episode gets a cyborg arm, which is awesome. Hell yeah. <laughs> so I, I, and it's like he has to call on the power of his ancestors in the episode and it has this amazing final fight choreography. Yeah, it was just, we see the robot assassins a lot. Like we mentioned, Aku is constantly sending assassins after him. But for me, this was one of the best ones where he has to take on a whole bunch of baddies at the same time. Actually, the, the thing I love about best about that episode is the Jerry Lewis scientist. <laughs> With the heinz button, the gizmo. There are so many references to other things in Samurai Jack that we could literally spend all night talking about how many references there are to things in Samurai Jack. But that that is a very good one. I, I think with with episode five, I liked it was enjoyable to me. I felt like jack needing some cyber arm to cut through something when he literally cuts through like all the other stuff i know they they explain that kind of was kind of weird to me and then he ended up like having like calling the power of his ancestors anyway which felt like a much more in character thing for him to do um so that kind of that was kind of weird to me but but it was a it was a fun uh it was a fun episode i don't know if it felt out of character i i feel like that was one of the first episodes or it felt maybe one of the first episodes where it felt like he was actually able to consider his goal bigger than himself and needed to call on people, which kind of brought a humility, a further humility on him. Whereas once he might be previously have been becoming more arrogant, prideful. Yeah. Arrogant, prideful, something less than that. But you know, in that vein, I guess when you see so many episodes where he is like completely self-reliant and like figuring out how to overcome things himself with his own ingenuity or you know his force of will or something it was just weird for him to get the the kind of the Batman sort of solution to it and it's like oh I just need this particular thing Jared you should like this episode because it proves that Aku is competent because Jack <laughs> had to do all this extra work to take out these assassins I also just want to add that uh, despite Kate's claim of, you know, there being so many robot assassins. I said assassins. I meant to say assassins. Well, there are other robot assassins that they send. They send those two, the husband and wife couple in the earlier episodes. But for, for her clarification on which episode, episode five was in this, she just has robot assassins next to it. And I'm just thinking, oh, man, which one? Well, I didn't put I have my own notes. <laughs> so and I was I didn't know what those notes were for in your guys's and I was like well I'll just put some things there so they know I wrote notes. <laughs> <laughs> my my notes are much longer so. Oh man, no, after, that's good. After no, watching three solid you. series of this plus a couple of uh, episode uh, season four, I have seventeen pages of notes like at my disposal that I'll ultimately forget to talk about. What what other episodes did you like, guys? Either of you for season I'm two. I'm done. Do you have one favorite for season two? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I liked some other episodes, but you guys also had some on your list that I liked, mm. so I was, I'm good. Jared? Okay. Ha. Beat me to the punch. Um, so, episode one, Jump Good. Jump Good is great. Um, I have a tendency to like the dumber episodes, I guess. <laughs> and uh, and and I I love this episode because it's all it is. It's Aku going, ha ha, I'm going to be really tall and make it to where you can't hit me. And then Jack goes and like trains to jump really high with this dude, and and all the dude says is jump good. And like he just teaches Jack that. And then at the end of the episode, Jack's like jump good, and he like probably cuts Aku in the face and then Aku turns into a bat and flies away. That is the best ending line to any episode. Just because of the simple the, the simplicity of that episode as you pointed out, just having Jack emulate that or restate it in his own terms going after Aku and is just it, cutting a, a quick cut and it's effective and it's comedic and it's warm and it's heartening and it's it's everything Samurai Jack really should be and is and it yeah. was it was great writing. It was great storyboarding. That jump good line comes back in a later in a later season episode out that I'll talk about later. But oh, uh, I I just wanted to say though I actually when I was watching that episode, despite how ridiculous and silly it is, I actually had some really serious <laughs> thoughts when I was watching it. Do explain. Ooh. Well, sure. some of it goes back to something ink that we were talking about earlier was like does Jack have this blood lust or like, is there a part of him that enjoys fighting? Because in this episode, I actually found it a little bit tragic because when he meets the village of monkeys that are being attacked by the other monkeys, the village talks about them being pacifists. Like, I feel like Jack runs into people all over who maybe don't fight or don't know how to fight or, or whatnot, but they don't explicitly say that we are peaceful. And in this case they do. And then he teaches them to fight anyway. Mm. And then they kind of very viciously for obvious reasons, they're being attacked. I'm not saying they shouldn't fight back. That's not really my point, but that then they go after these other monkeys that are coming into the village. And then it like almost awakens their bloodlust. <laughs> And I was like, wow, that's actually <laughs> yeah. kind of sad that that they couldn't be a peaceful people, I guess. so. Or at least stay true to being a peaceful people. Because, yeah, yeah you, you do see their kind of joy in being able to defeat the intruders, which may be the, the slim line they're treading in that. But I agree with you completely, because when I saw that, I also felt very sad. I was like, why couldn't this very happy... People, uh, peaceful race, just be peaceful. Like if they had to move on, at least they could still be peaceful people and move on. Now they have this oil on their hands. That's Jack's unstated superpower: is that he turns everyone he comes to contact with into <gasps> is, is is Jack a coup? Up, up to, um, you know, he's kind of kind of like a coup in some ways. But like up to and including, um, I know it's in season four and it's the last episode, but the. De- the baby. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that, but like by the end of that that episode, the baby has like Jack's face <laughs> because he's been around with Jack and he's seen all the stuff Jack goes through. And so now he's like, you know, Jack's Jack 
the the mom asks, "What did you do to my child?" And Jack's like, "I'm sorry, he's been around me too much." And like, paraphrasing, but he's he's attained the soul of the samurai. <laughs> that that is an epic like, moment. That, yeah, like every like everywhere he goes to to, to Kate's point about that, uh, which is a really great point. Um, he he turns folks into like warriors. Not necessarily, because a lot of people just you know sit on the sidelines and witness all this devastation and then come to applaud him at the end it's like thank you for freeing us for all this and we won't really help you although a lot of people do but most kind of just sort of observe and sit back as he takes care of the problem for them <laughs> um okay other other shows other episodes i like uh, jack remembers the past where he wanders around and accidentally stumbles onto uh mm-hmm. his homeland like God knows how many hundreds or maybe thousands of years in the future, and it's it's a pretty. There's not a lot of dialogue in that episode, like some of the episodes we've talked about how that happens, but it's it's very poignant, and there's there's lots of him seeing things and remembering scenes from the past, and we get a little bit more. And see here, Kate, here's me, here's me talking up Jack's character development. Um, we get a little bit more depth about um, Jack's life and some of the. Uh, memories of his childhood and growing up, and I love that. Um, episode eight uh, is uh, Jack and the Dragon, which I just called in the notes "Dragon Farts" because that's essentially. Oh wait, wait. Let, let's let's it's, talk about why you liked the Jack's Return to Home episode. Because he's walking around. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, again, returning to the epic hero idea, and particularly Odysseus coming home and things being so different. And all, a lot of, like, monomyth-type stories where you come home and the hero has changed and has, he's had this transformational experience, and so he can't see home the same way again. Except with Jack in this case, he's been torn out of time, and here he is, and all the things that he, you know, to him, he sees a statue and he has memories of things that happened and, and people that he he knew, you know, that he's reminded of because of that statue or a building that he sees or... You know, something like that, and you know, it's uh, it's just really uh, it was kind of emotional uh, in parts because he's remembering like childhood friends and his family and and things like that. It's not like just coming home and things are different. It's like your civilization is gone, and all you're doing is walking around on the overgrown ruins of what your people were, Ooh. and that's sort of a a weird existential truth to have I to wrestle with. Really love that. I, I didn't even consider that uh, that portion. I was I was more engrossed by the the storytelling in that that episode because it begins it, it it begins with what should be the climax of every typical Samurai Jack episode where you have the uh, the the flying grasshopper robot battle and that actually comes back around because when he comes to when he stumbles upon uh, upon his hometown. And he starts having all these flashbacks about like his first uh, love as a as a as a like five year old boy with this girl who's also crawling through the wheat. They were hunting grasshoppers, and you know, chasing and bouncing and running after them just as joyfully as the bounty hunters were chasing after him on the grasshopper uh, the grasshopper robot earlier. But what I really loved was the portrayal that the town he was in was just sort of already being reclaimed by the environment because I'm and unlike most of the environments that Jack had been set in up until this point, you know, devastated, ashen, dark, devoid of life, 
his hometown was being reclaimed by the earth and vines and grass. It seemed like, you know, that destruction happened long ago, way long ago, and it's now been forgotten. Mm -hmm. But now everything's turning green again. It's almost foreshadowing, saying, no, Jack's going to defeat mm -hmm. Aku because, look, the, the place he grew up on, grew up in, is coming back. And... So you got a message yeah. of renewal out of that. Yeah, that's, and that, that, that's kind of why I wanted you to express what you did, because I, I find both I like both, I like both views on that. I thought that was also one of the first episodes that felt like there was such emotional depth from Jack in that episode, and the series in general. Mm. I, I think we have a lot of adventure, and that episode is the first episode that made me really sad. Mm. Yeah, it was a really tragic episode. Okay, back to Dragon Force. <laughs> um, you know, the whole show, the whole episode is about, oh my god, things smell horrible, and it turns out that a dragon has got, you know, some bowel problems, and Jack sort of, Isaac Asimov, Fantastic Voyage style, sort of, uh, <laughs> has to, like, go in and figure out what the core of the problem is and resolve it. And so we get like this really great like insides of a dragon background, which must have been like super fun to storyboard. And it looks like they had fun with it because it's completely crazy looking. Very much alien world looking in, inside this dragon. The uh, other episode I liked was Jack is Naked <laughs> because it's I really, really love stories where cause and effect is like a, is like played around with a lot. Jack ends up losing his clothes and then like puts on some other random clothes, thinking, "Oh, that'll be fine." But oh no, wait! I've dressed up like a bank robber, uh, and then he's like running around having to deal with that. And you know, it just like one thing leads to another, and it's just a really kind of fun romp kind of an episode. That was one of my favorites too, and. It's funny because I don't think it was one of the really good episodes, but it was one of my favorites. Uh, uh, thought that would I thought that would drive Evan crazy, but um, <laughs> it it didn't follow through on the Jack and Wonderland aspect all to to the degree that it should have. It had a lot of you know character references that were in there because it was in line with the analogy, but it didn't really put them in a in a a position of authority at all and maybe that's because you know the ultimate authority is a coup i don't know but as a story <laughs> you're starting to do that better than me um, <laughs> but what, what i really liked was all the little side visual things in that where you know the the rabbit's cafe in the background and you know mm -hmm. just little little references here and there um to alice in wonderland in a, in a show full of amazing backgrounds, this was an episode with really great backgrounds, with lots of fun details. It really was, or at least a lot of visual nods. And I, I appreciated the visual nods. But aside from that, one of my favorite episodes in that was actually the, the 300 episode, the hmm. Greco-Prussian War, where uh, you know one, one team of about 300 men held off uh, the Grecian army persian persian thank you the battle of thermopylae thermopylae specifically thank you mr mystery major uh, <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> uh, but i i only learned to really appreciate this episode after listening to the commentary on it and i know this is one of the emmy winning episodes 
And, you know, just worth mentioning at this point, Samurai Jack, winner of multiple Emmys, goes to show you why you should watch this show. The sheer amount of shades and colored color contrast that they had to use to pull this off because Samurai Jack, unlike any other anime ser- animated series of this time, did not use outlines on the characters. So when you put a main character in front of the background, you have to make sure that the background does not match your character. And this episode in particular had day, night, dawn, dusk, intent in base, in castle, mountain pass, all sorts of settings. So they went through multitudinous color palettes. And to actually coordinate this and make all the action seem as splendiferous as it was, just an utter wonderfulness. <laughs> like, you could watch this episode and not really think of it as anything other than a action-filled episode of Samurai Jack. But in the end, if you think of how much the animators had to go through to make this possible, then you really get to that, that sense of awe. And that final fight sequence with the big robot in the dome uh, in the interior of the, the enemy base, that was entirely animated by one man. Yeah, so you take 2B Heroes opening and apply it to a seven-minute-long fight sequence. That's just where my head went, too. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's why I love, uh, I think it's episode 25, which was also, uh, as you noted before, inspired by Frank Miller. Yeah, yeah, he's, Gandhi's definitely a, a Frank Miller fan. Uh, probably, hopefully, maybe like a Frank Miller fan like the rest of us, as in, before Frank Miller lost his mind. But so anyway. Also worth mentioning is uh, 22, the Imakandi hunt. Uh, oh, yeah, the, the lion people? Mm-hmm. If, oh, that's a good one. If for nothing else, it's just the first time that Jack successfully is, is successfully hunted down by an opponent, but his nobility actually saves him. So his, his Achilles heel as a hero, as a tragic hero, is uh, actually what saves him. And I like that. I like that aspect of it. Yeah, I was I when I watched that episode, I was wondering if that was also not not the the ending with Jack being honorable, but the the hunters if they were inspired by Predator. Mm. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Um, I like because that. the Predator has sort of a lion esque look to it with the the dreads, kind of maybe, and that. Predator, you know, they're an alien race that goes around hunting like the greatest prey and stuff like that. So I, I didn't know. I, I wrote it down as like I don't know, oh, maybe you mean things. You mean things actually pertaining to the plot of Predator? Also and, that, yeah. And yeah, do, no, that's good. That's that's an interesting insight. I hadn't thought of that at all. That's that's very neat. Yeah, and they do have that like spear that sets up that electric net, and I, I yeah. remember the the spear from Predator. So. Well, I mean, and a lion, anyway, is this majestic, kingly creature. We humans sort of ascribe these nobility aspects to it. So there's a bit of foreshadowing just in the fact that there are a bunch of lion people, <laughs> that they're going to like a dude like Jack. So that that's a – but the predator angle is really – that's a cool thought. I hadn't thought about that at all. Okay, that is a wrap on part one of Old Taku No Radio Episode 6 covering Samurai Jack. Uh, Expect the part two episode in just a couple of days, and until then, this is Jared saying see you next time.
I'm like speechless with how amazing that was. Aw, thank you. Jump good. Jared is wrong. 